theyeshiva.net. So three people walked into a bar. A rabbi and a priest and a minister. And the bartender looked at them and said, what is this, a joke? So three, three dimensions of a person enter into a marriage. It's not quite three people, but it is three people. It's three layers of a person. Three uh, dimensions of a person. Three aspects of a person enter into the relationship. One is called the Pnimi, and one is called the Makif, and one is called the Makif Lamakif. And that's why by the Sheva Brachas we say, Vehiskin Loimimenu Binyin Adeyad. From all the expressions, the expression that's used is it's a Binyin, an edifice, and Adeyad, it's an eternal edifice. As I said in the, as we explained in yesterday's, in the previous class, there's one level of a relationship that is not only conscious, but it's very much about the internal experience of every individual. A relationship that is molded and built based on a person's, thank you, personality, character and mindset, what you would, in spiritual language, you would call it based on the esesphidus of a person, based on the esesekeches, on the faculties of the human soul, intellectually, emotionally, functionally, how you see yourself. And that relationship is one that is uh, built and cultivated from and within the structure of a person's self-knowledge and self-awareness. That's what he or she seeks in the other person to complement, to fulfill, to uh, be able to create camaraderie and friendship and trust and, and hopefully a family and a, and a bias, a home together based on, the, on, on who the person is and who the other person is. So these decisions are made very much based on what we call erpnimi, the internalized light. In other words, how you see yourself in, in, in spiritual language, this is called mamalakalam. There's a deeper component, which is equally vital, and not just equally vital, but in many ways this is what sustains and guarantees the enduring quality of a relationship, its longevity through thick and thin, through ups and downs, through the um, sometimes uphill battles of life and the downward uh, spiraling staircases of life. What sustains its endurability is another dimension of the relationship. And this you may call Ratzen or Keser or Seiv of Kalalman or Makif. And what this means in simple words, it's not so abstract, even if the words are abstract, it means, as we said, that there is a uh, commitment, a will, a desire, a rotsen, just like by a person. A person has a will. And we explained there's a difference between the communication with the body 
that must educate certain limbs and organs. You can't become a dancer overnight because you want to be a dancer. And then there is the Ermakov, that's Erpnimi, and then there's the Ermakov which dictates, it rules by will, and it warrants, it creates the submission and the surrender of those who are under the authority of that Ratzon. In a relationship, that would mean there's a commitment, there's a will that transcends my own individuality. It's a desire, it's a commitment to the, to the institution of marriage, to the relationship, to the entity called a relationship. There is a, a value, a sacred, rec- a recognition of the sacredness of the union and a commitment to it. This is not about me and my needs and my feelings and my experiences. It's not about you or your feelings or your experience. It's something that encompasses both of us. And you'll see an interesting thing. It's brought in Chassidus that the way we do Kiddushin is through a tabas, a ring. Halachically, pure Allah, you don't need a ring. The Mishnah says in Kiddushin, Aisha Niknas, B'Shalosh Drachim, B'Kesef, B'Shtaro, Marriage can happen through one of three methods, money, or something that's of value. You can give money itself or something that's of value of money. Shtar is a document. And then there's the third, which is Bia, intimacy. So the Chachamim Rav, the Gemara says, Rav Mangi Damande Mekadish Babiya, the third element the the sage is discouraged for obvious reasons, because it's different things that happen. But um, but the first two are completely fine even today. Yet, as the Rambam says, Nago call Yisrael a Kadish Bekesef or Bashavakesef. The Minigas to embrace the first path, which is to betroth with money or something that's worth money. And then the Ramon Shulchan Aruch says that the minig is to use a tabas, the ring. And actually he says that the source of this is Zohar. It's one of the places the Ramon brings the Zohar, the Kabbalah as a source for halacha in Ebenezer. That the minig is to use a ring. So the source for the ring is actually in Zohar. And the Ramon says, I think, Yeshal Zatam Betikune Zohar, something like that. There's a reason for it in Zohar. So that became the minig Yisrael. One of the deeper interpretations is a tabas is a makif. A tabas, physically, a tabas is that circle. And that circle represents something very powerful. After the wedding, the husband, so he puts a makif on her finger. At least according to many traditions and customs, he puts on a talus only after the wedding, not before the wedding. A talus is also a makif. It's a garment, that's the makif levush. But it's different than other garments. Other garments fit exactly the human body. The talus, I mean, you have to get somewhat of a right size. You can't get a tiny talus if a person is larger. But generally, a talus is more of a makif, even within garments themselves. So he puts a ring on her finger. According to many traditions, Ashkenazim and so forth, he starts wearing a talus, but they're both under a chuppah. And the chuppah, the canopy over them, that encompassing roof over them, is actually, according to many Paiskin, what creates the Nisuyan, what creates the ultimate marriage. Because as we know, there's two stages, there's Kiddushin and there's Nisuyan. Kiddushin is, he places the ring on her finger and he betrothes her in front of witnesses and they become legally husband and wife. But in the times of the Talmud, in the times of the Gemara, there was still a 12-month break after that until they went from stage one, which is Kiddushin or Erisin it's called, to Nisuyan, which is stage B, when they went into a Chuppah and they actually 
were completely married and they moved into one home and they started to live together as a husband and a wife, which took usually 12 months between the marriage, the betrothal, the kiddushin or the erisin, it's called, and the nisuyan. Today we do the two together. Mm-hmm. Under the same chuppah you first do the kiddushin and then they take a break. That's the reading of the ksuvah is the break. And then after that is the shavah brachas, which always comes with the nisuyan, not with the kiddushin. So you have that chuppah, which creates the Nisuyan, according to some Paiskim, it's the Yichud room later that creates the Nisuyan, being together in an exclusive room. What does all this represent? What all this represents is there's a Makif. The ring is the Makif. And the Talis is a Makif. And the Chuppah is a Makif. And in the beginning of the Chuppah, just like he puts a ring on her, she also does the tradition that the, the Kala creates a Makif, literally a Makif. She goes around seven times, seven circles, creating a makif around the husband. So he creates a makif on her. <laughs> she creates a makif on him. The chuppah creates a makif on both of them together. So it's, it looks like, you know, Stam and Hagim tradition, but the truth is there's a very profound idea here. Profound idea here is that a relationship must have an erpnimi. An erpnimi means an appreciation in terms of individuality. This is, this, this is going to be great for me. This is going to be great for you. Marriage also has to happen with the consent of the woman and the man involved. Why is consent so important? Because if there's no consent, the relationship can't be a genuine relationship. If it's forced on me, it can't be a real relationship. It's like a dictatorship or it's, it's, it's extremely painful disheartening. So there has to be the element of pnimi. What's pnimi? Pnimi is that I can appreciate it. It makes sense for me, and that's why one shidduch for one person is not a shidduch for another person. What, they, what do they call it? Chemistry. <laughs> you got to have chemistry. And chemistry is very much a very individual thing. And, and if you'll ask somebody, so why did you choose why did you choose this this man or this woman? Well, he's very special, or she's very special, or she's very kind, she's very wise, he's very kind, very wise. There's a lot of kind and wise people, but there's something there. There's a Epsanakuda there. On one level, it's rational. What does rationality mean? Rationality means, yeah, it's, it's, I, saw, I checked out, I, I examined, I, I thought about it, or in other communities, my parents thought about it. But uh, hopefully somebody thought about it, uh, just not, uh, you know, chaplap. And, uh, and that's on one level. But there's also the commitment, and the commitment is one that transcends the individual. That's what makif means. Makif means it encompasses you and is transcendent. That's called an er makif. And makif, again, doesn't mean it's not inside. It's inside, but it's beyond the parameters of the inside. That's why we call it a makif, which is a metaphor for a light that transcends the individualized, custom-made energy that fits your individual parameters and personality. I should say, in parentheses, just a sociological commentary, that sometimes the er makif, which in many ways is the blessing of a marriage that is uh, based on Jewish values, right? It's the blessing of it because that, that's one of its secrets of endur- in, um, endurability. It's longevity. Like we learned, food gets depleted very fast. 
you eat it, and then tomorrow you need a new meal. Even if you're not a big eater, you don't need to eat more. But even if it's once a day, it's only once a day. Tomorrow you need more food. You need more food. A person got to eat every day. If you skip a day, but you still got to eat, you got to need a new meal. It gets depleted. The makiv doesn't get depleted. The lavush. People wear the same garments for, for weeks, for months. Uh, and for this, you have to share similar values. If you don't share similar values, then indeed you don't have that. If it's only based on how I'm feeling and you're feeling, well, tomorrow we're feeling differently. In a year, we're feeling differently. And that's what happens so often because people constantly are changing. The erpnimi is always changing. The ermakif, the chuppah, is an overarching element that could, that could unite them. In parentheses, what I wanted to say is that it's very important to emphasize that, but it's also important to emphasize the erpnimi. And you understand why? Because sometimes people only emphasize number two and not number one, and they completely disregard and don't take seriously the inner personality. How this, you know, this engagement came about. And the person told me that uh, there's really no interest. Mm-hmm. It was just... It seemed right, and people said so many good things. And how can Torah if men could technically have more than one wife? We don't do it now. But how does this apply to that? Like I've been mocked, but the way he does the mocking about her, but then he gets to take the same. How does that work? <laughs> There's a lot of makif. <laughs> There's a lot of makif. <laughs> Seven hakafas, get. The truth is seven hakafas, it says, there's the makif of chesed and there's the makif. Every hakafas connected one of the middas, right? You see in the text of the hakafas, the first one, anasha anasha and the second one, lechaz, gvura, each one. The third one is Yaakov Avinu, it's uh, a teferis. So there's the makif, in each of the middas, there's the makif of chesed, the makif of gvura. There's something called makif aprati and makif aklali. Like the ring is a makif prati, the talus is a makif prati, the going around seven times, magrada chupa is a makif klali. In makif itself, there's many, uh, many states. So I was saying, somebody called me and a person said that they were told after the wedding everything will work out, even though you're not interested now and it doesn't really look like a fit, but it's a good person. I hope it's true, and, and I'm sure sometimes it happens, and uh, hopefully it will happen, and they'll have a beautiful life together. But it's very, it's very, very sensitive uh, to tell a person to enter into a marriage without a person feeling good about it, feeling wholesome about it, feeling confident about it, unless you really know the score of it, and you you have some, you're privy to some information about the person. Maybe they're dealing with some fear that they just have to overcome. So yeah, there may be such situations, but generally speaking, it's important for a person, both a chosin and a kala, to be able to feel that this is, this is the person I want to spend, I want to spend my life with. There is, of course, always a leap of faith. Any type of marriage, any type of relationship, you know, there's always the unknowns and there's never guarantees in life and, and people go through a lot of things. There's always an element of commitment and you're, you know, if, if, if you live completely by rational calculations, maybe the whole thing doesn't make sense. But generally speaking, there still has to be a component of what we call erpnimi. And that comes together with following it on ermakif. And an ermakif is what protects the union. It's what protects the relationship. 
There could be a very serious conflict. There could be a very serious disagreement. A marriage can go through a crisis. Many do. And what allows, what's the glue that keeps it together? Often the glue that keeps it together is this overarching, overarching commitment that is transcendent. A commitment to, uh, a commitment in practical terms, a commitment to, to, to the institution of marriage. In simple, a commitment to God. Huh? Common values? See, people are not. There's people who are religious and have miserable marriage. There's people who are not religious and have good marriages. It's not uh, always dependent on each other. Um, are you referring the, to common values? Common values is very, very important. But I'm talking about a type of common value that allows people to, to be committed to each other even when there are deep challenges in terms of working out themselves and their place in the relationship. And a person could get that from many places. Sometimes people grew up in homes where that was very emphasized or they had parents who were living examples for that and so forth. Generally speaking, and of course there are exceptions, generally speaking, one of the reasons that in the more religious communities there's less, the marriages are more long, uh, last more long term, and the percentage of divorces are so much smaller. So some like to say it's only because religious women are scared to get divorced because of the stigma of the community, and they also can't support themselves, and all these types of things. I'm sure that plays a factor, but that's not the ultimate reason. The ultimate reason is because the lifestyle and the convictions and the values are one that emphasize in a very, very powerful way the sacred value of a relationship, of a family, of a marriage, a binyan, a de'ad, that is the ultim- an ultimate Jewish value, maybe one of the most ultimate Jewish values, if not the ultimate one. The fact that God says in Parshish Bereshis, the first time the Torah says that something is not good, first time, everything is good, 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 toif, toif, tev, altas git, everything is good, there's one thing that's not good, you remember in Parshas Bereshis, loy toiv heyoysa adam lovado, the first thing that God believes is not good is that Adam is alone, that's not good, not good for men to be alone, the hest, not good for men to be alone, <laughs> so that's the first loy toiv, that becomes a very, very deep value, does everybody have that value? No. Not everybody has. Are there secular people who have that value? Of course. Many of them, and for, 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 for thousands of years, these traditions, um, were, were entrenched in society very deeply. Uh, modern era, these traditions have been a little bit neglected, or a lot neglected. So it, it affect, it affects marriages. It affects marriage, because marriages often need sacrifice and commitment. It's not always a smooth, a smooth uh, cruise on tranquil waters. I mean, halavai it should be, and I hope for for, for all of you it's uh, that way, and for all of us, but it's not always that way. There are bumps. Even in good marriages, there are bumps in culture, and when there are more challenging marriages. So that's what the makif represents. There's different, there's different types of values. There's deep values and there's shallow, shallow values. The like Torah's very deep value, and then... Couple likes to go out with hamburgers, up to shallow value. They like to go, you know, skiing or something else. Yeah. It's more kind of strong. The value, really. You're right. 
if the only shared value is that they like to eat hamburgers or, or go to the movies or go skiing together, I mean, it's a great thing that they like doing these things together. But I don't know if it can uh, sustain all the elements of life. I mean, if you could stay on the ski slopes for 50 years, that's great. You know what I mean? And if you could be in the movies just for 50 years or, or eat ham- you know, flip hamburgers for 50 years, that's great. That's the plan. So when you're 23 <laughs> or 28, maybe you imagine life like that. You know, we'll just flip hamburgers and hang out in, in vac- vacation resorts, which is beautiful. It's great. But then there is the work of building <laughs> building a home, and that's a whole different reality. You know? <laughs> take out the garbage. Charlie, it's time to take out the garbage. <laughs> Taking out the garbage is not so exciting. And then when children come into the world, you know, life completely is transformed. It's about raising children, and that's 24 hours a day and everything. And what happens often is that the way people look at life when they're 26 is not the way they see life when they're 46. You know, a lot of... Uh, I have a friend, his name is Daron Kornbluth. So he wrote a book on intermarriage. So uh, he makes a very interesting point in his book. Very interesting point. Among among the breakups in relationships, in America, in some places, 50% of first, first marriages end up in divorce. I don't know if that statistic is accurate. Uh, somebody once said that uh, 91.5% of statistics are inaccurate. Right. Uh, so I don't know if this one is accurate, but it's certainly a high number. 82% of all Americans hate statistics. <laughs> Very good. 82% of Americans hate statistics. It's a high statistic. Probably New York and Los Angeles, I would assume, is probably higher because of the nature of the of these cities. And I'm sure Kentucky and, uh, and Tennessee, <laughs> the Bible Belt is probably different. But uh, so, so he wrote, but among Jewish couples... You have also a very high rate of, of, of divorce, more in the secular communities, more than in religious. Although in religious communities, it did go up the last few years, I think, significantly. Still not to compare, but it went up. And uh, But intermarried couples, intermarried couples, sometimes it lasts, but very, very often there's a lot of challenges over this. So he writes about it. And he's a very scientific type of fellow. He's not, uh, he's, by nature, he's a very scientific type of fellow. So he makes a very interesting point, and he says that uh, most people, or many people, when they get married, they're younger. And he says, take a regular Jewish kid who grew up in a conservative home, or a reform home, or a very modern Jewish home, or, or a very traditional Jewish home, but secular. But he had a bar mitzvah, and there's community, and there's still a Hanukkah party in the synagogue. You know, there's still Yom Kippur, of course, and a Seder. When he goes to college or goes to university there, the agenda is I want to become an independent person. And I'm leaving my grandmother's cocoon to go see the world and to develop myself as a human being. And he said those years are the years when you drift away most from family, from community, from religion, especially in the world of university, which is based on open-mindedness, and sometimes atheism is celebrated in an extraordinary way, and religion is mocked and uh, and denigrated, and religious people are seen usually as fundamentalist nutjobs who, uh, in the... Uh, uh, 
an opium right to don't don't use their minds and don't use their hearts. I mean, this is this is a big conversation in many of the campuses, whether conscious, unconscious, blatant, explicit, or implicit. He said, and you know, and that's when you meet girlfriends and you meet boyfriends. And, meet, and then at a later stage, at some point, when today it's a little older, but whether it's mid twenties or higher twenties or low thirties, they decide to get married. He says, when the Jew and the non-Jew meet, they're both in the stage of life where the smallest interest is God, religion, home, community. That's not, they're young, they're handsome, they're good looking. Life is long, endless, endless, uh, opportunities and possibilities, no financial stress. They're completely in a different mode. And you, they usually meet. And he says, what are you? And she says, oh, I come from a Catholic family, but you know, and none of us believe. And what do you believe? Yeah, we do Yom Kippur, but you know how much that matters to me. So what, what's the big deal? Love conquers all. What's that expression they used to say? Love, um, love is blind. Love conquers all. If you have love, you don't need anything else. So you're going to let this, somebody once told me, I'm going to let God mix into love. I'm going to let God interfere with love. you crazy. Some invisible, transcendent, monotheistic God is going to interfere in my romantic life. Explain to me the rationale of it. You know, you're 29. Why would you allow God or your grandmother's matzo ball soup or your great-great-grandmother's matzo ball soup, uh, if they even had that, interfere with romance? Like, you got to be crazy. So, so that's what decisions are made on. He says the, the challenge is, and this is very interesting, people get older, they have children. When you have a child, something comes out. Like you want, very often, I want my child of a bar mitzvah. Why? Well, why do you want your child of a mitzvah? Because suddenly you start looking at life, you know, in a larger way a little bit, and you think about the later years, and you think about values, and you come closer to family, and you start understanding what your parents did and who your grandparents were. You know, people's priorities and values open up. And he says what completely was irrelevant at the age 29, at the age 47, becomes a source of tremendous contention. She's like, I want him baptized. And you're like, no way, my son is not being baptized. I'm a Jew. I want a Christmas tree. No, I want him to have a menorah. We're not doing Hanukkah. We're not Jewish. We are Jewish. He says, and the conversation breaks down because suddenly people see that the priorities that they rejected are really very, very much part of them. So he says, the problem is that they're making decisions when you're not thinking about what you're going to look like in 15, 20 years or 30 years from now. Your kids grow up, you're probably going to want to give them some type of identity. It may may not come out, but it may come out very likely. And there's a lot of conflict there. In any case... So here is where the makif becomes extremely valuable. That's stage two. And that's the talus, that's the ring, that's the chuppah and so forth. Stage three, we spoke about three people who come into a bar. The third layer, this is makif l'makif. And makif l'makif, this is what we call miyaydeya. This is beyond das. This is not the levush, this is not the talus, this is the bias. We call it the home we built together. The home we built together, vihi beischa kebeish parrots. The bias is something that transcends not only the two individually, like a chuppah, or like a talus, or like a ring. And in fact, that circle is not only graphically, physically, looks like a makif. Also, mathematically, it's interesting that the dimensions of a circle 
we still cannot comprehend mathematically what we call the equation of pi. The Mishnah says in Erevin that kol sheyesh behekefei, kol sheyesh berachboi, kol sheyesh berachboi shloishat vachim, right? Yesh behekefei shloishat vachim, shishat vachim, which means what's called pi, that the, um, that the, um, the, the circumference, the circumference of the circle is three times the diameter or six times the radius. Diameter is the width of the circle. If this is the circle from one end till the other end, the circumference, the eagle, the circle round to round is going to be three times that size. And it's very, halachically, it's very relevant in the halachas of Erevin. It's a Mishnah Masechta Erevin. But as the Rambam right away puts, put, points out in his spiritual Mishnayis, that this number is not accurate. And in fact, they call it an infinite number because it cannot be measured. It goes on and on and on and on. It's three, an irrational number it's called. Three point, it's, th- it's approximately three, but it's three point, boom, 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 one four, I think, right? One five four, and it goes and goes and goes and goes and it doesn't end. It doesn't end. This represents, so it's not just a math- mathematical problem, it represents a concept of makif, which is by definition an union of bleakful infinite. It can't be contained, it can't be grasped, and it's not rational. That's also the connection of the circle. So it's interesting how consistent it is. Is, is, is the three representative of the three ideas? There is. <laughs> Could be, that I don't know. You get the rational number, though. So it's interesting that it's connected to the circle and the, the relation between the circle and that which is inside the circle. The circle is also like a mechitza. It's a barrier between that which is inside and that which is outside. It's almost like the circle delineates the barrier between what is inside its space and what is outside it's containing qualities, but you, that you can also have in a square. But in a square, the barrier itself is one that represents more limitedness, and the circle represents more a concept of infinity. No beginning, no middle, no end, no top, no bottom. You take the letter Samach, right? Any direction, you turn it around this way, that way, that way, it's going to be the same Samach because it's a circle. You don't have that with other letters. Then you have the third component, which is the ultimate Makif, the makif, lemakif, which encompasses both of them also, but it's not just a makif in the sense that it's a conscious rotsen. This is the relationship that happens on a superconscious level. So when the chassid makes a special simcha because he was mekayim mitzvah shikha, and he says, "This I couldn't have never done if I planned it. This was rooted in a place that I could not plan, not because I didn't plan it." but because it's beyond that I, which is defined by plans. So here we open ourselves up to a real other complete component. And that is when I'm choosing my spouse, or you're choosing your spouse, she's choosing him, he's choosing her, right? Which dimension of self is making that choice? So this is what Rav says, that there's something that happens on a level that is completely beyond us. So you say, did I choose it or did I not choose it? Just like Shikha, did I forget or I not forget? <laughs> My super conscious self <laughs> 
chose to forget. Chose to forget. And the reason it chose to forget was because there's certain things that I can access only in a place of forgetfulness, only in a place of absent-mindedness. My own das, my own perception would completely limit and filter the experience and the choice according to my own imagination, my own anticipation. What do you think? He asked if you have Bechira on a superconscious level. Do you make choices? They all come from Esther Perhaps you have choices, but it's a different type of choice. It's a completely different level of choice. That's what they call unconscious. That's unconscious. Unconscious choices. It's perhaps a choice, but it's a completely different level of choice. But still, for example, with health, you'll have the rutsum component of health, or a fista who outlived a rabba, you know, maybe ate better, maybe didn't eat better. So the, the, no one will deny the the rutsum element, but the point is, beyond that, there's still a... Right, 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 yeah. And this level of marriage, if I'm planning for it, it's not going to happen. There's what you plan for, and you have to plan, that's Arpnimi. There's what you commit to and you want, that's Arpnimi. And then there is the Ratzin that is even beyond the Ratzin. He calls it Raiva the Chol Raivan. The Ratzin beyond the Ratzin. It's Makif even Lagabi Ratzin. It's not even processed within the conscious of the person. So here it's at my core. I choose your core in a place that transcends my consciousness of it. And this is connected to the very deep dimensions, the deepest dimensions of the person's soul. This is a whole different level of the relationship. And that's what we explain. That's what happens with Yaakov and Rachel and Leah. Yaakov chooses Rachel. And he will marry Rachel, but who does he actually end up marrying? He ends up marrying Leah. Was Leah meant for him? Of course Leah was meant for him. But the only way, the only way he can get Leah was if he didn't know he's getting Leah. On a level of Das, he chooses Rachel. On a level of chemistry, Yaakov chooses Rachel, not Leah. It's the only way he chooses Leah is by not choosing Leah. It goes beyond Das. The Balatanya says in Torah, who makes the switch? Lovon. Lovon comes from the word Loivin, Loivin Ha'elyon, the source of all whiteness, which is called Pnimi Sakeser, Atik. It's called Lovon Ha'elyon, the highest level of whiteness. The Rizal says there's no less smaller Baha'i there's no left, there's no Gvura. And Atik, whatever that means, it's not for now. It's the ultimate whiteness, the truest color, the source of everything. Love and makes the switch between Rachel and Leah. <laughs> ah. Well, the women always somehow are, uh, like we have it also with, with, with Rus and Lloyd to do. <laughs> the women can deal with it better than the men. <laughs> it's just like Yitzchak. If Yitzchak would have known who he's giving the brachas to, Right? Same thing. It would have been brachas that come through his das. He didn't know who he's giving it to. He thought he's giving it to Esau. 
So the brachas to Yaakov were coming from a place that's lamaylam in adas, beyond das. The same is true when it comes to children. This is a very sensitive topic, when a very real topic in life. There are the children you plan for, the children you invest in, the children you watch growing up and you anticipate this type of child, that type of child, this type of nachas, as they like to say, this type of nachas. But then there's a whole other dimension. Children have journeys. Are the parents guilty or are the parents not guilty? Parents could blame themselves from today till tomorrow. Jewish mothers love blaming themselves for all the decisions of their children. But it's not always that way. It's not so simple. Like I told you, the two goats of Yom Kippur were identical. But they ended up in different places based on a goiro. Different souls have their journeys. And the key in life is not to remain stubborn and put your heels into, dig your, what is it called, dig your, uh, your heels into the sand, your claws into the sand, and saying, this is it. It's either my way or the highway. In other words, we create a very limited, narrow place. I can accept you inside of here, and if you're outside of here, I can't accept you, and the relationship is challenged. The ability of a parent to reinvent themselves is a very, very courageous act. The ability to be able to understand that sometimes your child is on a journey. And what your child needs more than anything else in that journey is a ticket and somebody to pay for the ticket. <laughs> is a loving parent who is emotionally present in the life of that child. Sometimes parents have an opposite instinct. They're repulsed, they run away, they reject it. Child is not fitting into that structure. So the father, you know, he comes home and the father runs upstairs to his bedroom. He doesn't want to face him when he comes home at one o'clock in the morning. But the truth is, it's very painful, but that child needs the father more than any other child. He needs you more than anybody else. It's hard because we don't want to be confrontational, we don't want to scream, we don't want to lose ourselves, we don't want to get angry, we don't want to say stupid things. It's very deep avoider. But here I have to remember, it's lav b'schus atalia milsa, ele b'mazol atalia milsa. Mazol atalia milsa means there are sometimes relationships that are inexplicable. There are journeys that are inexplicable. That's what Esther says, that's what Mardachai says, mi edei, I don't know why you ended up by Achashverosh. It's not always alpidas, not because it's disconnected to, from you. This may be your ultimate calling. This may be where you will find your ultimate self, which is what happens. What happens is when you open yourself up to that, you find within yourself places that you have never known about before because you only knew about your conscious self. You never knew about your superconscious self. So sometimes I plan everything, but then there's another plan. <laughs> the I that plans it is beyond the I that I know. It's an I that is rooted in the ultimate mysterious divine I, and over there my journey takes me to different places. My marriage takes me to different places. My children take me to different places. <laughs> now, this is not romanticizing chas v'shalom uh, challenges and crisis and so forth. What, it's, what, it, what, what it teaches us is that a person has to be able to face life on all three levels. On an erpnimi, and an ermakif, and a makif like makif, and with a certain sense of serenity and courage and conviction. How can you face makif to the makif? Be stretched. Yeah, be stretched. 
the way the Jews accept the Nasev and Nishma. So we said, that's what he said that we did. That's really what Nasev and Nishma means. That's what he said. He said Nishma is what? Is Shmiya, right? Do you remember what he said about Nasev and Nishma? The two crowns? There's the crown of Nasa and there's the crown of Nishma. What's the difference? There's the Makif of Nishma and there's the Makif of Nasa. And he says, what's Nasa? Bitl Haratzen Shemavatl Daitoi Uritsoinoi Legamri. That's not Nishma. Nishma is also Makif. <laughs> Nishma is not just a Pshat I'm going to understand. Nishma he teaches I'm going to listen. I'll do, I'll follow you. Like what we say I'll do. But Nasa is much deeper. It's two separate crowns. There's the crown of Nishma is the crown of Makif. The crown of Nasa is the crown of Primi Yisakesa, the first parasha of Kriyashma. Not Bechol Avavcha, Bechol Navshecha, Bechol Maidecha. And the second parasha, which is Vahoya Imshamaya, the Gemara says, Ain't Oisin Ritzayin Yishol Makim, because there's missing Bechol Maidecha. So what's this Nasa? What is it? He calls it, he says, Shemavatl Daiti Ritzayin Legamri, Bittl Haratzen. That's what he learned before. Bittal haratzen l'mayla me'adas v'aseichel. This is makav de makav. This is raiva de raiva. This is the second kesser. And it's called, without it, it's called ein oisim ritzayin eshal makam. What does this mean? What it means, I think, I can't tell you what it means. If I tell you what it means, it's probably not that. But uh, I think at least one aspect of the way I understand it and I guess saying I understand it is already not that, but at least some level of it is, what does it mean? Mavatl daiti ritzayne legamri. Bittl ratzen legamri lamayla mehadas vaseichel. I'm going to try to be very practical about this. We have a mindset of how life has to work. You know, who I am, who my wife is supposed to be, who my husband is supposed to be, who my kids are supposed to be, what life is supposed to look like. And then frankly, it doesn't turn out that way. And there's two different reactions. One reaction is I stubbornly hold on to my territory and I make everybody conform. And if they don't, I have to emotionally alienate myself from all these people. Or I become a very bitter or cynical or resentful or angry human being, right? Sometimes I run around for Zgulis and I run around for people to help me and for for guidance and this, but I'm not ready for the deepest guidance. And the deepest guidance is... Maybe you could take your das and take your rotzen and actually completely suspend it. And it's a very, very difficult, challenging moment. And this is the pchin of chayiv inish lepsumah b'poria ad deloyada. And it's really half of a fella. Mordechai says, mi yoideya. We look at it as a little line in the Megillah. And what's the whole purim? Ad deloyada. What's that ad deloyada? You got to get drunk? Just drink, drink, drink till the point that you're drunk and you stand on the highways and you stop the cars and there's vomit all over the place. The people who look at Purim that way are not typhus. The Mohus Purim is the deepest Yom Tif. It's deeper than Yom Kippur. <laughs> What's so deep about that teenagers get drunk and can smoke legally and walk around drunk? That's the Chitzainius. That's like everything. It's just the Purim is very deep. It's the Pchin of Adalayad. And what happens by Purim? It's a second Matan Torah. Kimu Kiblu, they redid Matan Torah. That's what the Gemara says in Shabbos, right? What happened by Matan Torah? Nasa v'nishma. <laughs> so Purim, which is the second Matan Torah, is also Adelayad. The first time around, the Gemara says, Parchanishmasan. The souls flew out. Purim, there was a similar thing. It's a nice word, <laughs> but how do you suspend your das, especially when it's in the level of Shabbos? Not only that, but the Gemara uses Kimu Kiblu. That's when they, when Makabalit, 
not, you know, uh, Balkarfa, that that's when they were Kabul at Barutza. The first phone call... Even uh, deeper. That was the first mountain there. Kafalim Harkagigis. Kafalim Okay, let's hope there'll be a Purim. <laughs> let's hope there'll be a Purim. So the Shlem wants to know, Al's good, it's all nice words, yeah? But what's with some practice, yeah? What are you supposed to do? First of all, you have to take a deep breath. <laughs> Maybe a few of them. <laughs> I told you once the Maisa. At one of the weddings, at one of the Balatanya's grandchildren weddings, there was a Batchit. He was a Chabad Chassid, and the Balatanya was there, and he had to do Batchamas, you know, s- say some wise cracks. But he was very embarrassed because the Alter Rebbe was there. So he took a little, uh, <laughs> he took a little vodka <laughs> to loosen up. But, but he was a, he was a deep person. So he turns to the Alter Rebbe, and he says, I thought about it, and I discovered that the difference between you and me is not that great. <laughs> Everybody thinks, yeah. I realized this, uh, he said in Yiddish, the difference between us is pretty small. So everybody was quite, you know, shocked. Well, what did this guy come up with? I have to say it in Yiddish and then I'll translate. He said, Herr Rebbe, was ich weiß, weiß dir euch. What I know in life, you also know. Was ihr weiß nicht, weiß ich euch nicht. What you don't know, I also don't know. Elamai, so what's the difference? There's a couple of things that you know and I don't know. What I what what you don't know what what I know you also know. What you don't know I also don't know. There's a couple of things that you know and I don't know. So, says, so what's already the big difference? So you might say, well, those couple of things are not a couple of things. There are a lot of things. So he said, Abirebe. Was is the erech? What's the comparison zwischen dem was ihr weist und das was ihr weist nicht? What's the what's the relative value between that which you know, which you know, and that which you don't know? Mostly the same. Huh? So, so what's already the difference between us? So I, 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 I saw the Vart a long time ago, but I saw one of Reb Melech Biedermann's, uh, Koyftsim. Ah? So I saw one of that he said, he brings from another source, which I didn't see, that when he said this last thing, the Rebbe started to cry. That what's the, how could you compare that which you know to that which you don't know, to the Ain Soif, which you don't know? That, 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 the Vart of the Batchan. It's not such a bat, it's not such a Batchan as this. And Al Trebbe was so moved by that vart, you know, not just the it was it was smart, but also the the depth of it. What is the erech of what everything you know, Legabi, what you don't know? Tachlus ha'yedia shaloyne da'acha. That's what the the, the pchinus oylam says. Tach, the ultimate knowledge is the greatest knowledge is that I don't know. What does this mean in a person's life? It becomes a very powerful moment of healing, actually. A person faces a situation and can truly say, Mi Idea. And I could be fine 
I don't have to wrap my brain around it. I don't have to figure it all out. I don't need my mind, my conscious mind, to be in control. I don't need my conscious expectations to be in control. I can say to myself, I am suspending everything I know. Everything I feel, everything I planned, everything I orchestrated, everything I want. To the truth, to the ultimate truth of what God wants, which is the ultimate truth of what I want. And that means no ego, no arrogance, no vanity, no egotistical expectations, what it has to look like, what the family has to look like, what it has to be like, what it has to turn out. All that I have to send out the window. It's not easy, because I may have built a case for 45 years, you know. It's like somebody writes a paper. The Gemara says about Shimon Hamsoni. His whole life he dedicated to explain S. The S's, every S in Chumash. And then he hit He was reaching, he was reaching Nobel Prize. Parshas Veschanam, just a few parshas to go. And what did he do? Boom. He tore it all up. This is the balloons in the garbage. Kishem Shekebalti Scharala. Drisha Kach Akabu Scharala Prisha. What does that take in life? Why? Because it's not true. Not true. And not says that type of commitment. It's not nishma. Nishma means I'm going to listen. I'm committed, which is gewaldic. That itself is makif. That's keser. Nishma is higher than the pnimi. Pnimi is what I understand. Nishma is the makif, but nas is a deeper makif. Nas is bitl hadas legamni. That sometimes I have to completely take my mind, the way I figured it out, the way I understand it, the way I plan it, even from a spiritual perspective. We're not talking about from an egotistical perspective. And suspend it. Not because we don't believe in the human mind. Of course we believe in the human mind. We value it. We cherish it. But because there's dimensions of reality that completely transcend it. And if I go to it with Das, I'm going to get depressed and stuck and entangled and encumbered and trapped. Mind and even Ratzin can become here a trap. And you have to say, I have no Das here and I have no Ratzin here. I've no right. I, 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 it's beyond me. In fact, my eye, I'm in a state of shikha. <laughs> this is called conscious shikha. You know what conscious shikha means? I'm in a state of what, what's the nikud of shikha? Put him, what's shikha? Shikha means I'm not here. Couldn't I be here without being here? <laughs> so for men, Lloyd had to be asleep. Because <laughs> he couldn't be here without being here. And Yehuda couldn't know who it is. And Boyaz couldn't know exactly what's happening. And everybody had to be in a state of shikha for Mashiach to be born. That's where Geula happens. Behesach hadas. Now, it's not, it's very, very humble. This is the most vulnerable experience in life. Because the ego gotta completely go. And I'm not talking about the stupid ego. I'm not talking about a primitive, uh, hot-tempered, narcissistic Meshuggah. I'm also talking about him. He also got to be mevatel as das and rotzen, and we have a tinge of that. But I'm talking about I'm talking about a person who's I'm sugar the who has crazy ideas, and and you know your kids are not going to fit into your crazy ideas. We're not talking about that that person too. But sometimes I have to figure out that all ideas are crazy because they're ideas. <laughs> all ideas are crazy. It's even true, you know, in the second Einstein. What they say from Einstein, Albert Einstein, he said. There's no, no invention is possible in the world. Yeah. If you're not ready 
to question and delegitimize everything. In other words, if you're stuck in any paradigm, you're gonna, that's going to be your paradigm. There has to be an element of shikha. An element of shikha means I have to be able to, to, to put a question mark. And those are healthy question marks. What does bitl hadaz varatsan mean? When I'm supposed to shoot my brain? Chas v'shalom. I don't have das anymore. I should become a drunken alcoholic who's intoxicated and inebriated. That, that, that was the vision of Chazal for the, for, for, for a day that's like Yom Kippur. It's like Yom Kippur, Nebuch, we have to fast. Put him, okay. Let the monster come out of the closet. What do they, take the sack out of the bag? Everybody, it's very deep. It's an Indian of Miyadeya. It's Adelayada. Adelayada means, Adelayada ben Arahamal Barach Mardachai. Surrender. Huh? Surrender. Yeah. But not surrender from a place of, uh, of <laughs> depression. Yiyush. It's a whole different thing. It's not surrender in, in the sense of, this is a crazy world, and I, 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 I made every bad mistake in life, and whatever went, could go wrong went wrong, and I did everything wrong as a father and as a husband, and okay, shoot me. That, we know that attitude. <laughs> and since I'm not, so let's go drink. We know that attitude, right? And by the way, that attitude is very painful which is going to lead to distractions because it's a very painful place to be in. This is coming from a very deep place of strength. Everything right, still be It comes from, ah, why are you laughing? An American would say, it's me, take it or leave it. Yeah, yeah. It's, and this is also not about becoming a, a shmata and a valueless person and just like, okay, I'm just stupid. You know, sometimes you'll hear Jewish arguments, right? The husband will tell his wife, okay, I'm stupid. You're right. I'm stupid. I will forever be stupid. You run the show. That's not called bittel. <laughs> That's called basically saying you're impossible. <laughs> you're never going to accept me. So let me give up before I'm at. We're not talking about that. I'm stupid, you're right, you're brilliant, I'm an idiot, I'm a moron, I know nothing. Okay, let me go live in another house, I'll come visit you next year, put it, when I'm drunk. Now, this is not bittel, this is called uh, escape, anger, you can't deal with your issues, it's a whole different Indian. This is very deep, you stay here, Fakert, you don't run anywhere. You're completely here and you understand that you don't understand. You understand that you have to surrender your perceptions of life, of relationships, of the future, to a place that is beyond perception, because perception is just our way of containing reality based on our prisms. And our prisms are limited. And it starts in the source. Atsilis is everything. But it's the way the divine is manifested in structure. And even Ratzon is the Ratzon about structure. And then there's the Ratzon Liratzon, which is called Pnimius Akasar, Atik, which is called Pchina Tachtoina Shabimatzil. And sometimes life opens you up to that place. And actually, there lay the greatest opportunities. Over there is Mashiach, over there is Geula, over there is infinity, over there is also the ultimate source of Nachas. But it's without expectations. And it's without trying to figure it out, and it's without trying to protect my ego, which I'm trying to protect because I'm afraid of death. If I give up my ego, what's going to happen? I'm not going to be a person. Actually, I'll become the person I'm supposed to become. Because my I will yield 
what do they call it on the highway? Yield? Yeah. yeah. Yield, right? My eye will yield to the real eye, which is beyond the filtered eye. The filtered eye, that's what Rav says, comes to life, comes to children, comes to Parnassah. There's Elbazach with Parnassah. What people go through with Parnassah. I don't have to tell you, a lot of seasoned businessmen sitting here in this room. I have to tell you about stress. Huh? You want to talk about it a little bit? <laughs> so Rav says a Gewaldi Kavart. Not mazol, you have a bad mazol, your nebuch case, go, you know, go, I have nothing to do for you. Rav is saying that there are journeys in life, there are journeys in life that are so connected to you, it's beyond what you chose with your conscious self, because that which you choose with your conscious self is never at your core. It's much deeper. And what that means, when you see it, the last thing you got to do is run away. This is where it's at. This is where it's at. And ah, it doesn't fit in. This is shikha. Put away your das, put away your ratzen. And, and here you will find your ultimate, you may find your ultimate light, your ultimate redemption. Dr. Michelle, you understand? Okay. Then you could leave. <laughs> you talk about Panasa, you can't deposit it. Huh? Yes, Panasa, you can't deposit it. You need to make it a deposit. <laughs> Rashi says, I'll tailor him with chkiris and drishas. I think it's part of it, yeah. Nasa v'nishma. Nasa is p'nimi yisakasa, nishma is chitzayni yisakasa. Nishma is, I'm committed to your will. Nasa is even bitl haratza. It's not pshat, I have a rotson. I don't have a rotson. rotson. No, but I want this and I want this. Who are you to want? But not in a, not in a bad way, in a good way. I don't have a rotson. Ah. Atatafes mashakarepo. Ah. Divrei lekim chayim, ah. Ah. You're not allowed to run away. You have to stay. Yeah. yeah. That's what Shikh is. He really wants it. But the only way he can get to it is through this. And whenever life hits us in that way, we have to remain there. We can't run away. And sometimes it's just like you, you, you melt away in a river of tears, like a mikveh, and you get washed off, and you break down the whole ego, and you open yourself up to truth. I'm a Yiddishkeit, huh? His whole life, yeah? The Japanese, the Japanese. Yeah. Yeah. 
Vós Ah, já Já, já, que denke Já, que denke Já não me chabas É que isso é comentado, nepotismo Like every Yom Tov, Purim is, is, is a paradigm for the year. Just Purim, we emphasize certain qualities. It's also Yom Kippur, is Lamayla Menadaz, Goyrul. You know what the Balatanya says, how Hashem forgives the sins on Yom Kippur? How can He forgive a sin? He said, don't do this. And you went and did it. It's not a small thing. What about if I did forgive? The creator of the world said, no. You said, I don't care. I'm doing it. He said, you have to go to a place, Lamailam in Harotzen. In him also. <laughs> a place that's beyond his Rotzen. Over there, forgiveness is. Mitzvah is Hashem's Rotzen. When a Jew is Mavatal, his Rotzen, Hashem is Mavatal, his own Rotzen also. You go to a place that's beyond Ratzon. That pshat <coughs> says by Yom Kippur, Lifnei Hashem Titoru. So he teaches in Lukudah Torah, Lifnei Hashem means before Hashem, higher than Yudke Vofke, from there comes Tara. Yudke Vofke is Yud, is Chachma, Koytzer Shal Yud, on top of the Yud, you know, there's a little, uh, you know, the Yud in the Sefer Torah, there's a little, a little line going up, a tiny, that's called Keser. That's Yud, and then Hey, and Vav, and Hey is Keser, and Chachma, and Bina, and Midas, and Malchus. Lifnei Hashem, Titaru. The Tara comes from beyond Ratzon. When a Jew is Mavatal, his Ratzon. So, Kavayachal Hashem is Mavatal, his Ratzon. In other words, the relationship goes to a place beyond Ratzon. That's what real forgiveness is. If somebody really betrayed me, how can I forgive them? People ask, how can you forgive people? <laughs> is forgiveness possible? For, real forgiveness happens when the two people could connect on a level that's beyond Ratzon. That's where real real forgiveness happens. Yeah, you could. I think it's important to share with people our, our resentments. Yeah, then it's even more important. If your brother or your sister or your, or your nephew or your child or your wife says something and it hurt you, you're not supposed to carry it around. You have to talk to them about it. If they can't handle it, they can't handle it. But you could maybe do it in a way that they could handle it. They may deny it. They may deny it. Yeah, you have to be ready. Yeah, You have to go to a therapy session before you speak to them. <laughs> or come to a shear at least. <laughs> so, so all the meditations in the world don't touch this mimer. <laughs> this mimer is deeper. You understand? All the meditations in the world don't don't get close to this mimer. They're all the hachana. It's good. Meditation is good. It's a hechsher. At best, it's hechsher. Huh? But here he goes much deeper. Can you address one thing? Because there's something as Lamatamanadas. Lamatamanadas. Yeah, you got to be careful. A lot of people go to, let's say, even some yeshivas, and they take their das and put it in the... In the yeah. 
And they couple everything, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is the opposite. He's asking, what's the meaning of Lamailam and Adas, Lamatam and Adas? People go sometimes to certain yeshivas, you're saying, and they're encouraged to throw away their mind and stop thinking and just accept everything. And they become like robots. And then they have a conflict later on. And then they come back and they meet their mother, and their mother is not really so Jewish, and their father is not really so Jewish, and so forth. Yeah. There was a boy who came to see me, and he was in a very nice yeshiva for like nine years, a very prominent yeshiva. And he has a lot of challenge. And I said, what's the problem? And he said that he just realized that in that yeshiva, he was beheaded, meaning his mind was detached from his heart. Like emotions were not part of the equation. But this is the exact opposite. Lamatam and adas means a person is encouraged not to think, not to, uh, not to use their mind, not to use their faculties. It, it's a place of judgmentalism. Everybody becomes bad because they don't fit into these paradigms. It's a place of narrowness. It turns you into the narrowest person possible. You become a fundamentalist zombie. L'maylam and adas and l'kadatayda, you become the most expansive person. It's a complete opposite trend. It's all beyond us. It's all beyond us, but saying l'maylam and adas, you become a very narrow, like, like you see you can't speak to the person unless you completely conform to their one-dimensional mindset that they've been indoctrinated with. You can't speak to the person. It's a place where we shut down our critical thinking, where we don't believe in expansiveness of our own consciousness and certainly expansiveness to let other people in. It becomes a very judgmental and narrow way of looking at the world. And if somebody asks you questions, you get angry, you get upset. And it's like this, you build up this fake arrogance from being in a place where you're in a comfort zone where everybody agrees with you. So I think it's the exact opposite. What we're speaking here is you use your das and you appreciate it and it's a gift. But you don't allow your das to limit you from experiencing the infinite grandeur of the cosmos. Let's talk about it in science. One of the greatest mistakes that scientists do is they conform the grandeur of what they're observing to their previous paradigms. What's the greatest challenge of atheists? If they can only, not believe, but open yourself up to the infinite possibilities of a mystery that eludes you, that's good science. Don't reach conclusions. But with humility say, wow, and how did that Big Bang happen? Don't just say, it's not our job to discuss what happened before the Big Bang. (laughs) Okay, it's not your job, but why don't you open yourself up to the craziness, to the insanity of it, and say maybe there's like, in other words, it's, it, you want you wanted to create a humility that expands you, huh? There's also an element of understanding ourselves, and they believe that. <laughs> I understand you. Right. No, no. I'm not saying we shouldn't be critical thinkers. My point is, we shouldn't take insane, powerful truths that we're observing and compress them and conform them to fit the boxes that I created. 
means giving myself the freedom of experiencing the grandness of life that eludes even my imagination. I think that's the definition. Giving myself the freedom to experience the grandness of infinity that is beyond me. But it never competes with structure. It never competes with the mind. That which is lamatam and adas will always mock the mind. That which is lamailam and adas will not mock it. It will encourage it to reach its ultimate potentials. And then it will say, okay, great. And now there's one step above. Well, that's what nasavanishma is. Nasavanishma means that I want to open myself up to your rotsun. I don't want anymore. Not because I don't want, of course I want, but now I'm going to touch a place where I don't want. Because I know that what I really want, I don't really, I don't want. Because what I want is that which was filtered. And what I'm saying is that there's an intrinsic danger in that path. You say, okay, I don't know. Okay, let's fly somewhere and start imagining. And then people imagine that for these, you know, things which has nothing to do with reality. Excellent. Excellent point. This this is dangerous. That's why you don't start off with this. <laughs> you don't start off with this. It's not olive base. Just to go beyond that. That's why you always need your mind. You always need your mind to know if this is manipulation or not. You always need a mind. A person always needs a mind. That's true. You always need a mind, and you always... Yeah, you're right. You're right, 100%. But we all know, we all know, when we're open to this question of, am I being manipulated? We all know after some point, you know when somebody is teaching you things that resonate in your deep place, in your deepest places, and bring out the best in you, the most productive in you, the most, the deepest truths in you, or ultimately, at some point after manipulation, a person wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and says, a piece of me has been abducted, or a piece of me has died. Manipulation comes to the fore. When a person gives up of themselves to a manipulator, it comes out. And if a person remains completely honest and open to that, they'll see it. I think. Rabbi Miller makes the point of, I think I've heard that from nowhere comes to our help. In other words, a person is out of loop. Yeah, yeah. That's when that. May I and Yahweh Ezri. You know the Alter Rebbe's Taich, huh? The Alter Rebbe Taich, may I and Yahweh Ezri from Ayin. Unbelievable. May Ayin Yahweh Ezri, from Ayin will my help come. Huh? From Ayin, yeah. Which means from nothingness, but it's not really nothingness, it's everything. But from a place that I call Ayin, meaning it's not tangible. I can't identify it. Huh? What do you call the third eye? The third eye, so to speak. The, the, the Ayin, the eye becomes Yin. <laughs> Just to use your uh, poetic uh, qualifications. And the Balatanya Taiches, that's what Rabbi Yochanan meant, Ein Mazali Yisrael. 
when the Gemara says in Shabbos, Kufnon Vav Rabbi Yechon, it says, Ein Mazel Yisrael, Baltanya says, you could read it, Ayin Mazel Yisrael. The Mazel of Yisrael is Ayin. Meaning it's a different type of Mazel. It's not the Mazel of, uh, it's the, 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 the Ayin is the Mazel of the Jew. And of course the Ayin is not fixed either. So the real Mazel of Yisrael is rooted in Ayin. That's the Mazel. And that's the point here. Right. So it means that it's not that there is no mazel. There is, and it's ayin. Ayin mazel Yisrael. Which means ain mazel Yisrael. <laughs> it's the ayin that's mazel Yisrael. Huh? Yeah. The ayin is mazel Yisrael. That's like the makif lamakif, yeah. Yesh me'ayin, yeah. Yesh me'ayin. So, you understand there was some time between the matam and adas, lamaylam and adas? So, our conscious actions are... I'm trying not to create myself another trap. It's, it's very, that's very good. That's very good. That's very good. Yeah. So, our conscious mind is the one that's actually blocking superconscious. Yeah. Our conscious mind blocks the superconscious. And that's why we have to say Nasa Vinishma. People think Nasa Vinishma is like a repressive thing. Like, I'll just do, like, I, I, you don't understand, you know, I don't care what you understand. Just say Nasa Vinishma. We do, 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 and then if we have time, we'll learn. Dr. Rebbe is saying something much, uh, much more profound. Nasa is actually the ultimate liberating thing a person can do to themselves. Because the conscious mind blocks the superconscious mind. That's why we have no access to it. Because the conscious mind insists on filtering everything through consciousness. So Bechal Maidecha is with the Ma'id, that's part of Nasa. That's the first parish of Kriyashma. And what does that mean? It means that I don't have to want. And that's a liberating idea. It's not a, I want, I don't have to want. I could put that away. Like, I could be, I, I don't have to want. No, but I want. I, do, you really, I really don't have to. <laughs> now, it, it's very, it's, 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 it's very counterintuitive because if you take that away from me, what's left? What's left? What, I want my kids. I want this. I want this type of thing. I want this type of, I want this type of family. I want this type of future. I want to be this type of person. I want, I, 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 Right? And because it's very often spiritual desires, good desires, so I don't look at it as an ego. It's like, this is what God wants. But really, to know what God wants, I have to stop wanting. You understand? Because even if I'm in the most sublime state, which I'm not, but even if I am, the 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 I that wants is only a reflection of the way divinity is filtered through Ratzon. When I, when I could stop putting, when I could put away what I want, I don't have to want. And when I don't have to want, in a very interesting way, you can actually start living. You can be fully present to what God wants at this moment. You become more alive, not, I don't want, so I'm a dead man. No, no, you become more alive. When I don't have to want, 
and build everything based on that, I can actually start fully embracing and living in the present. So when you want the eye of Hashem, that's it's very dangerous. Because in the first, I mean, let's say I'm an interpreter. If I stop wanting, you know, I close my business. Right. That's why. That's why we don't only live in homes. We also eat and we get dressed. There's mazan, there's lavush, there's bias. Wanting is like, you know, it's a, it's the most dangerous thing you can do to yourself. That's why you have to know vu un ven. If I'm a CEO and I come into the office, right? And I see there's a decision that is disastrous. I have to be able to call in the managers and say, this is what I want should be done. <laughs> this is where your rutzen is very, very important. You know your ambition. You know your goals. Here is where will is the only way to go. And you have to give them a commandment. Because <laughs> there's no time for long extended conferences and meetings unless you want the business to go down the drain. You get what I'm saying? I'm learning a piece of Gemara. Yeah, be mevatel your das. And I have to understand. <laughs> That's the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. Understand. Bitl hadas. But deeper than all of this, there are moments in life that call for that. There are moments in life when if I go with das and rotsen, I hit. I hit a brick wall. And even in moments when I need Das and Ratzin, I have to know that they have to be open to a truth that is beyond them, even when I need it. So it's never either or. We're not talking about canceling out Pnimi and Makif at all. On the contrary. I got an email from a woman. Stam, I just want to mention this. in She wrote to me that uh, she went... A very spiritual person. And she went to every conceivable guru that you can imagine. Every type of healing and every type of meditation and every type of energy healing and every type of acupuncture and different types of transcendental meditation and energy work and this work and that work. Huh? What she, what she heard of, yeah. And she's a researcher, smart, smart lady. <laughs> Your mother is your mother, but this is another mother. A very, very profound person. And uh, anybody she could find, she went to. China, with India, with, with the Far East, with the Near East, with the West, and seminars and workshops and books, and every type of conceivable form of healing, spiritual, physical, emotional, intellectual, etc., And she says that ultimately after uh, six months, a year, two years, she was disappointed by most of them. Sometimes she gained something, no question, and certainly there's knowledge in this. But ultimately, she nothing brought her back to herself. That's what she wrote to me. It takes three years to go in. Okay. Ah? She went and she went. So she writes to me that she started to listen to the classes in the morning in Lakota Taira. And she heard the language and said, okay, here we go, another trip. So she got another trip. <laughs> when, when is the bubble going to be uh, burst? Yeah, six months, seven months. She's been listening from the beginning. Uh, she wrote, <laughs> she was waiting, you know, when, uh, you know, here we go, another 
spiritual language. Spirit, we know it. Ultimately, at the end, everybody just wants your money. <laughs> your money and your heart and your soul and your loyalty and your commitment. She writes to me, it was very moving. She says, and as, and she made sure that her cynicism was in full gear. <laughs> and all of her antennas were up because she was hurt so many times. So she made sure to be sensitive to the slightest, you know, to the slightest, uh, sheker. And oh, here I hopped. Yeah. And she says, as she started to learn every mimer that she learned, in an inexplicable way, brought her closer to herself, closer to herself. She felt more alive, more conscious, more alert, like somebody who's actually completely there for her. And, and she said at that some point she realized that the Titus, Titus Emmas, and the greatest mistake she can do is keep up those antennas that just make her suspicious and don't allow her to absorb it. And then she said, I made the most conscious, deliberate choice to surrender completely because I knew that by surrendering, I will be protected. And Mamish like a child. She's like a child, right, who knows that the mother will not drop the child and the child can just fall asleep in the arms of the mother, not worrying that the mother will say, I'm not interested, and the child is as calm as it gets and as trusting as it gets. And she said, she wrote to me that Alter Rebbe allows you to become that child. Fully alert and yet fully, fully trusting. And you'll never ever feel anything but the truth of Ein Saif being communicated into the world and into every person according to their capacity. So you see here right away the difference of Lamata Menadas and Lamayla Menadas. Lamata Menadas is I can't be critical. Because if I'm critical, I may see the truth. So I, I teach myself or others teach me, don't be critical. Don't think, don't discuss, don't explore. If somebody asks questions, just call them an apicurus. And you don't ask, don't tell you. You're very good. And that's a great defense mechanism. I had a friend once in a very serious cult. And he once told me that he's not allowed to speak to me anymore. I said, why? So the guru told him that I'm too brainwashed, so I can't absorb the truth. I said, maybe the guru is afraid that I'm going to ask you questions that you won't be able to answer, questions on this philosophy. He says, no, no, it can't be. I said, why can't it be? He's human, I'm human. Maybe I'm wrong, maybe he's also wrong, so I'll ask questions, and you'll ask questions, and let's see. You're an intelligent kid. He said, no. And he wouldn't speak to me anymore. He cut off his ties with me. We grew up together, and he went into a cult. He got, he got abducted emotionally by a cult. It was very obvious. He was taught. Yeah. No, not a Jewish cult. A huge cult in Philadelphia. And it was very obvious. The definition of being in a cult means you cannot speak to people who have different opinions because they may plant seeds of heresy, quote unquote, in your life. That's classic Lamatam and Adas. The moment you see people being discouraged from exercising their individuality, their critical, Thinking the moment people are terrified of uh, exploring something, the moment they have to dismiss you instinctively, not based on reason, but based on, I just can't deal with you, you just have to be suspicious within yourself. What has this done to me? 
So it's both ways. Somebody who's acting this way, and somebody who is, let's say, a missionary. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I would lecture a lot, there would be missionaries sometimes who would stand up and start preaching, you know, uh, the vision of the, the, the gospel and this one and that one. So I once asked a, a friend, a, a senior colleague, his name was Schwartzy, <laughs> Shlomo Schwartzy from UCLA. He already passed away. Rabbi Schwartzy from California, yeah. So, you know, he was uh, in the 60s and the 70s. He dealt a lot with these things. So I asked him, what do you do? So he said that when he's lecturing in California, UCLA, there were a lot of Harry Krishnas or Jews for Jay or different, different Hevra. And they would get up and they would start preaching. You know, they had a vision and a God, etc. Huh? He was on Bruin 1. He had his little, my wife, my wife is at UCLA. By Schwartz, yeah? So he said, so he said that what he does is he learns from experience. He looks at the person and their eyes fix for 30 seconds and he doesn't say a word. He just stares down at the person for 30 seconds. And then he says, God told me not to talk to you. That's it. And there's nothing to argue about. It's like, you see visions, I see visions. God told me not to talk to you. That's it. And there was nothing to say and everything was silenced for good. You know, so when people are operating on that level, it's like, there's no parameter to say, maybe you're crazy, because I shut down everything. Now, you could use these maimarim and say, yeah, you have to shut down das, but, but it would be very uh, dishonest, right? Because... You said he said that to them? Yeah, he would tell that to them. That's how he would interrupt. Yeah, that's how he would interrupt. They'd wanted an endless debate and dialogue, which would t- take over the whole lecture, and it was impossible. So he didn't want to do anything obnoxious or something that would seem aggressive, you know, throw them out, because it would be very, uh, especially in those days. <laughs> it would, says you, could, you, could, you, could, you could argue till the cows Exactly, that was the point. Uh, yeah, and they, would, and they would take over, they would kidnap the lecture. So he would just say this, and that was it. Did you try it? Uh, I did it once, yeah. It worked, it was perfect, yeah. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.